Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and established small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hola, I'm Claudia Romo Edelman. And I'm Cynthia Kleinbaum-Milner. And this is a podcast a la Latina. The playbook to succeed being your authentic self. Today, Ana Corrales, amazing leader. She's the COO at Google for devices and services. And we're going to have three main things that you're going to learn from this incredible podcast. The first one is how you can climb the ladder by process of elimination. This means having jobs you may not like, but making sure you always leave them better than you found them. Never burn bridges. Number two, embrace feedback that hurts. Take what is useful for your growth and disregard the rest, like Anna did when she was told to be a little less. And the third one is, remember that we can't live life backwards, but you can make sure to identify your true calling early on. She did it by identifying what gave her energy. And all of that and more here in the podcast, A La Latina. Stick around. A La Latina is proudly presented by Money Lion. Join the millions of Americans just like you who use Money Lion to help reach their American dream. Hola, welcome to a new episode of the podcast A La Latina, the playbook to succeed being your authentic self. Today we're Absolutely excited. We have a stellar guest, Ana Corrales. She's the COO of Google Devices and Services. And we're so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Excellent. So what does the COO of Google Devices and Services do? I work in uh, the part of Google that makes consumer hardware. So I'll just show you because it's easier. So, you know, this is our new phone that we just actually released yesterday in New York. So super excited wow. to be in New York with you guys. Great event. Latina. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we do headphones and Fitbit, Nest products. So I hope many of you have our products in your home. And uh, we spend a lot of time making them for people to love them and use them every Every day. So that's what I do. I wasn't do. ready, but here's, here's my ad. <laughs> Product placement. I, no, I love it. <laughs> This is great. So that's basically what you're leading all devices of Google? So my manager 
Rick Osterloh leads the entire uh, devices and services, and I run all of operations for that. So that includes, you know, managing our development process, managing all of our supply chain, customer support, IT, like sort of end-to-end, kind of making sure that it all comes together. Um, so launch time is kind of, you know, our biggest moment of the year because everything we've been working for for 18 months, 12 months really has to come together for people to be able to get their devices on hand. And, you know, we actually have a couple of stores here in New York. So people just want to go after the launch and buy their thing. And so many things need to come together to make that happen. And my team is responsible for ensuring that all comes together. So it's fantastic to have you with us. Tell us more about you, your upbringing, what led you to be who you are today and what you do today? Well, I'm originally from Costa Rica, so Central America. I grew up there my whole life. And I think how I ended up here, you know, I always joke that you should live life backwards because you would have so much more insights about things that you should have seen earlier in your career that you were probably too busy to pay attention to it. But I think for me, you know, my parents are both really were both scientists. My dad was an engineer. He passed a, a few years ago. And my mom is a PhD in botany. So, you know, they were really STEM people. And I think they, you know, we sort of inherited that love for science and for math. It's something that was a huge part of, you know, of what we did. And then when I was probably 15 or 16, because Costa Rica is such a small country at that time, they show you how to try to be an entrepreneur because it's unlikely you're going to end up working in a big multinational company. And so I was elected to do that. And they taught us how to sort of run little companies. And I was nominated to be the GM for my little company. And we made scrunchies, which, you know, as you all know, in Latin, in Latin America, they're very popular. And they're Everybody has a, Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. They're so fun. Everybody has long hair. And so basically we created that and... You know, my mom really liked sewing. She had all these fabrics that were free. So for those who are in finance, that's free cogs, right? So free uh, free material is always a great thing. And the grandmas were willing to help us because they, you know, love helping little girls. And so that was free labor. So our margins were amazing. And, you know, we ended up running this thing. And then we were supposed to shut it down about six months later. But we were having so much fun. And we were making, frankly, a lot of money for teenagers, uh, especially in Latin America. So we kept... You know, we kept it going and then uh, we kept it going for years. And I sold it, you know, when we came, when I came to study in the U.S. And we did this deal with like the national supermarket and it was great. You could see your product when you went to the supermarket. It was amazing. So you would have thought, super obvious. I love product. I should have known that at that moment. Didn't have a clue. Just was like, oh, that was fun. On to college. Uh, and I was, you know, intimidated by coming to college in the U.S. You know, it's a big step for sure. But it took me many years later, probably a good decade later, to really realize I love products. I love doing things. I love creating. Um, I studied engineering, but I just, you know, all these connections didn't really happen until much later. So, yeah, it's a little bit about me and Costa Rica. You're talking about this idea that you've introduced in other podcasts or in other interviews about yeah. finding your calling by process of elimination. Oh, yeah. Right? So you're saying you should have known that you loved product when you had your business with scrunchies. How did that process of, of elimination feel? Yeah. And I'm asking you this because I've found myself many times in jobs that I don't like. And yeah. I bet you a lot of our listeners are feeling the same way. For that sure. Sometimes you're like, I made this mistake. Why am I in this role? How do I get out of this? What can I learn from this one that will yeah. position yeah. me for a different role? So if you can help our audience have a playbook when they find themselves in a job that they don't love yeah. to take the next role that 
will get them closer to their calling. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think the basis for me is that I really love learning. I mean, to be honest, I was, you know, pretty nerdy then. I'm still pretty nerdy now. I mean, so I just love any new topic. I will just go into it and go deeply into it. And I think that was the genesis of me changing roles a lot was I would do something, I'd learn it, I'd hopefully contribute, and then I want to learn something new and learn it and contribute. And the reason I say it was process of elimination is that I would go into these roles and exactly like you're saying, sometimes you would love it and sometimes you would be like, wow, this is really not for me. But I think you need to be, you know, the advice I would have for people if you're in that situation, one, be really honest about it. Like you have to be brave enough to say, I don't like this, I want to make a change. But it's also important that you have a responsibility. You took that role, you need to you need to leave the place better than you found it, and you need to contribute. I don't think it's okay for you to just jump from lily pad to lily pad and not really give back to anything. Um, it's super important that you learn. You have to be open to the fact that you may not know everything. You very likely won't, and you have to go there and learn. And actually, I've had jobs where I didn't think I liked them, probably because I didn't know what I was doing. Then I learned, you know, over time, and then I actually started to like it more. So you have to give it a bit of a chance. But I would just say it takes courage to change jobs. It's disruptive in your, you know, in your daily life, in your routine. If you have a family, it's disruptive. And I think you have to be super comfortable with saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to be uncomfortable. And when people say that, like, hey, go be uncomfortable. I think you hear it, but you don't really like absorb what it means. It means like, you're going to really not feel great. You're going to really be disruptive. Um, and so you need to be able to have the courage to do that. And what I see is that people don't really, they really react instead of being, you know, proactive. They wait until the manager has the conversation like, look, I don't think you like it. Or look, I don't think this is working out. When in reality, you probably knew that long time ago. And so... If there's one skill that I think I had to learn for myself, I'm such a busy body, I love what I do, love being busy, it was to slow down and have the white space, um, which is still a challenge for me today. And I try really hard to do that because when you do that, you will be able to hear yourself better and say, actually, I don't like this job. And you know, make that conclusion. We've heard from almost every one of our previous guests that careers are long. Yes. And when you're like in a job that you don't like, you're like, this is going to destroy my career. Yes, it But won't. It, it, it will it not. It definitely, yeah. and I think that's the other, I think you bring up a super point. It doesn't. And I think people will look at how you exit a place, whether it's a huge success or sort of a medium success or not a great success, but they will always remember how you ended up leaving a role. And if you're in a role that you don't like and you leave it in a very graceful way and you leave it in a way that you've contributed back, right? They made an investment in you, you need to give back, but you're also making a decision, a very conscious decision to move forward. I think there'll be a lot of respect for that and you will end up learning something. May not be what you want to do for your career, but you know, but you'll learn something. And careers are You know, they were long before, they're now longer. Yeah. So don't worry about that. You definitely, it's definitely not going to decide anything in your career. In a personal note, I am thinking about this a lot because of, it took me this amount of years to come to the realization of that. But when I, um, when I remember my father 
God bless him, he was never intended to, you know, like to put me into that position. But he did two things. One, he told me what a great co-pilot I was because I always went in the highways. He was an engineer, so he was always taking me from Mexico to Acapulco and to Ixapa, and I was like the origami. My dad was an engineer too. Exactly. I feel like, what a great co-pilot you are. And only five years ago, I saw my resume and I was like, I've been the right hand of someone my entire life. Yes. Without any intention, he gave me that piece. And it took me a real effort to become the pilot or even try to become a pilot. So how do you discover that? Yeah. If you're a young Latina, how do you have that moment? What is the trick? I think that, I think I have two tricks. But again, you know, this is after I wish I had I would have had these. I didn't. I think one of them, looking back now, is and you maybe can can, you know, see this too. Whatever is easy for you. Like you don't really tend to count it as much because you don't even notice because it's sort of easy for you. So, for example, for you, you know, being able to rally people and, you know, being loud and getting people excited and giving energy, giving all that energy probably gave you energy, but you didn't sort of realize that because it was effortless. So I think what's super important is as a person to sit back and say in those quiet moments saying, what gives me energy and what doesn't give me energy? Like I love, for example, being in product reviews and, you know, in some boards I sit in, we, you know, we do product reviews there too. And I've realized it almost doesn't matter what product it is. It's just so cool to be there in that creation process and making it real and making it possible. And, and touching it with your hands. Exactly. Like, Look at this. Isn't it so pretty? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I love that. Um, but I didn't realize that that gave me so much energy. There's other activities I need to do that I can do and I work at it. But when I leave that activity, I'm exhausted. Like I'm so tired. And so I now realize noticing where your energy just naturally goes up and where your energy naturally goes down gives you a really good indication where you like spending your time. It doesn't mean you can't do one thing. It just means you're spending energy when you do that. So I think that's one big piece. Um, I think the second big piece is to sort of write down how you're feeling about these roles. Because when you, at least for me, when I write something down, like this bothered me or this made me really happy. And then I sort of look at it over time, you know, maybe over a six month period or something. I feel like it gives me insights that I normally, because we're too busy, oh, everybody, let's go. You know, you're, you're so busy, you don't really get to see those insights. And for me, there's something about just putting it on paper, it really comes together for me and it's giving me insights that I didn't really know. In fact, that's one of the reasons I decided to leave one of the roles I had and go to a startup was I just sort of realized, oh, this is a trend for me and I don't know that I would have had, you know, perhaps the insight to, to realize there was a trend. It's sort of the boiling frog syndrome, right? Um, but when you, when you write it down, you sort of see these data points that are unrefutable, said by an engineer, of course. Yeah. I'm like, give me the data points. Okay, the conclusion is, but that's what happens to me personally. But I think the majority for me is the energy. Like I, I can just tell when I... El termometro. At Money Lion, we think money can buy happiness and that you deserve access to the same tricks, tips, and tools as the 1%. We want you to achieve your version of the American dream, so we built an app that can help you get there. From banking with no hidden fees to cash advances with zero interest or credit checks, Money Lion offers a suite of premium financial products that can help you make your everyday money decisions a whole lot easier. We even curated a network of content creators who can educate you how to invest, borrow, save, and earn like the pros. Ready to take control of your money life? 
Join the millions of Americans who use MoneyLion every day by downloading the app today. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. You said you love product and nevertheless you came to the U.S. instead of yeah. leading that and you came to the traditional route of academia. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, my parents were both academics, so there was no chance that I was going to be like, oh, I've decided I'm an entrepreneur and I'm just like going to skip college. They were like, oh, no. You know, I'm a master's and they were like, okay, that's kind of acceptable. It's not a PhD, but okay, you know, that's acceptable. So definitely college was uh, in the cards for us. And I think my parents, I was super fortunate. They wanted to give us an education outside of Costa Rica because they felt Costa Rica, you know, was a very small country at that time. So it still is and very limited in opportunity. So I think they really wanted us to experience just the, how broad the world really is and how broad the opportunities really were. I think the one thing that they did very well for us was They just had no limit on, you know, I think they, they allowed us to dream big. I mean, I just don't really think they had anything like, you know, you should be this or you should be that or don't do that, don't do this. And huge credit to my dad. You know, my dad, you know, grew up in Costa Rica, very traditional person. And so to send, you know, there's four of us, my sister, my brother, me and my little brother, but to send his two daughters, I mean, you guys know the culture, mm. to a different country mm -hmm. when they're 18 was like not normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think it was a big exception for him. And I knew that. Yeah, so I came to the U.S. to study. I should have known I wanted to study engineering, but I didn't. I ended up just kind of going to school, figuring out what I liked, didn't like, did kind of math, econ, because I was good at numbers. And then I took a class that was sort of a little bit into product design. And so I decided I really liked that. And that's why I decided to grad school in engineering. So that's how I ended up choosing my degrees. But I wish, I mean, I just it should have been so obvious. And I would have taken probably different classes if I had had the moment to listen to myself, but I just didn't. So Maybe you wouldn't be here. You Maybe. wouldn't be as successful. So you never know. Yeah, you took, never yeah. know. So okay, let's sure. go back to your first job, Cisco. Yeah. You were there for nine years and you got promoted seven times. <laughs> I think I'm not great at math, but that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, Cisco was not my first job. My first ah. job was HP. But yes, I went to Cisco very early on. I was super fortunate to go to Cisco when Cisco was just, you know, like a rocket, right? It was just growing so much. And I think that's one thing, you know, people look at my career and they think there's some magic sauce that I have. I'm sorry, but that's just not the case, right? I think I'm a hard worker and I definitely want to do things, but I was also super fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And Cisco was growing a lot. I think the other thing that I would highlight about my journey in Cisco are two. One is 
this love of learning. I was so young. I just wanted to learn. So I would do a job. And then the person I was working with, I'm like, oh, what do you do? And that's interesting. Let me go do that job next. And so then I I just, without realizing, was trying to understand that end-to-end. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I ended up in so many different functions because I, oh, what does engineering do? What does finance do? What does operations do? You know, I didn't really hit all the way to marketing, but I ended up, you know, doing a lot of rotations on that. And I think what happened is that allowed me, after a while, to basically do big startup efforts within the company where they, there was like a massive problem. They don't even really know how to articulate the problem, like, you know, spill an aisle four and they're like, send a SWAT team to aisle four and see what's going on in aisle four. And I was like part of that SWAT team. So I always say I was running towards the building that was on fire instead of running away from the building that was on fire. And I think that's one of the reasons I ended up getting, you know, a lot of opportunities because I would, you know, deal with these very difficult, ambiguous things and be able to sort of make sense of it and structure it and be able to then manage it in a way that it could exist long-term and hand it off to somebody else. And then I'd go do the next bill in, you know, aisle seven. So that was an interesting thing. And then the second thing I would highlight in my tour at Cisco, I was incredibly, I mean, better lucky than good. I had the super good fortune of having two incredible mentors there um, who really believed in me. I didn't work for them directly. I just did, in one case, I did a project for the person and, you know, they just sort of really took took me under their wing. And in the second one, it was the, the person ended up being COO of um, Cisco. And when he was earlier in his career, I was in his organization, but not directly reporting to him. And I was doing one of these big, crazy projects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think they, after after that was successful, um, they really invested themselves in, in my career. And those mentors have made a huge difference. They're still yeah. mentors of me today. I can call them and in literally under a minute, they know me so well, they can just say like this advice or that advice or yell at me if they think I'm out of line, uh-huh. which they do. And in five seconds, they can just like read you, I feel. Um, so they've been incredible people that I admire. Long-term mentors. Long-term mentors, they still do it. Like I will still call them. I'm like, hey, I have this issue. You know, I don't work at Cisco anymore. They don't either. But I'm struggling, you know, with X, Y, and C. And they're like, okay, tell me the scoop. And so I'll tell them, you know, whatever the problem might be. And they'll just give me incredible advice in like under five minutes. It's really impressive. It sounds like they were your sponsors and now they're your mentors. When you were That's in true. Cisco, You're right. they were your sponsors. You're right. What she mentioned about running towards the fire to projects that are ambiguous and yeah. difficult, we've heard from other guests that Latinas, like just growing up in Latin America, gives you a sense of like, I, I have to fix it. Like there's always I know, like totally. a little, right? So <laughs> unshakable. Yeah. Yes. Like, you can navigate conflict this year yes. because it's always It's always there. on. It's, yeah, always, it's always, on. always on. That's yeah. one of the things that we want to tell corporations. Like Latinos are more comfortable with ambiguity. Yeah. We are not shaken by yeah, a messiness. problem. Exactly. We go and fix it and, and yeah. navigate change one. pretty well. We exactly. can't, you know, like yeah. we can do like... Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think so. And I think it... 
it helped me actually to be, you know, to be loud, to be very gregarious and get people excited. And, you know, just you got to have your team believe that it's possible. And I think that's super important. They see the leader. If the leader thinks it's possible, they're going to go run that hill, you know. But if they see a leader that's shaky or uncomfortable, you know, it's a lot harder. And so I think having that conviction of like, oh, no, this is not happening in my house and we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it right now. Like that was so motivating, I think, for the whole team. And it was a blast, too. I mean, we just created such fun memories. So, yeah, it was really a great time. For and sure. you mentioned your mentors are, as being crucial in your yeah. being able to be comfortable and going to the house where there was fire. <laughs> Probably those mentors, like your parents, yeah. encourage you to dream big. We've also heard from other guests that they are not running to the house of fire, but trying to solve the big agenda items yes. of someone else and over-volunteering. And I think that I heard There's a lot... There's good and bad on that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think... First of all, I do want to just say one thing on the mentors and sponsors because you triggered that thought for me. I think they were first mentors became sponsors, then mentors mm-hmm. again, because it's hard for somebody to be your sponsor without knowing you. They have to know that you are a person that works hard, that has integrity, that you know really wants the right thing, and that that's, they want to sponsor that type of leadership. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they sort of give you the sponsorship. So I just want to highlight that. They also don't look like me. So I think if I had waited for you know a female... Latinx leader to take me under their wing. Yeah. I mean, I, I would still, still be, be sitting. Waiting, yeah. I still be waiting. So I just I think it's super important that they they look generally nothing like you. Uh, somebody that helped me a lot was a salesperson that you know I didn't I didn't meet a first salesperson until I was like 30 because I came from a STEM background, right? And they think so differently than than I did, mm-hmm. and so that was super helpful. They look nothing like you generally, and they generally have different backgrounds, and that's really helpful. Yeah. Would love to know a little bit more of being a Latina in STEM, in tech, the highest ranked in your uh, company, probably of the entire industry. I don't know about that, but maybe. No, no. What has been an advantage for you of being a Latina to get you there? And what has been a disadvantage? Where had you had pains, bruises, dial downs? And how did you fix them? I think that's a great question. And I definitely have had both. I would say for me, it's been by far an advantage more than a disadvantage. I'll talk about the bruises because there are some and we'll definitely talk about those. But I would say for me, what has been just the energy, the positive, you know, like you have positive energy, you're super energetic, people are excited. You know, you're a happy person. I mean, let's let's be honest, right? You just put music. You're like, eh, it's not that bad. Let's, you know, like nothing music can't fix. We you know? music. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We, need music here. we do it. But you know, I think just getting people excited and to believe that something that's very hard is possible. And I think also, frankly, for me, when I became a mom, you know, family is a really important part of our culture. I think people understand and respect that. And it made me a better leader. So I think overall, by miles, people will feel super comfortable coming and telling me things. They'll tell me their life story. You know, that's one of the funny things people say about me. Like, And it just happened the other day. I was getting my haircut. This lady told me her life story. And at the end, she's like, I have never done that. I don't even know what happened. I just... I don't even know what happened. Yeah, Yeah, I trust you. And I don't know why, but I just trusted you. And I felt really, you know, really privileged that she had done that, actually. It created sort of a different bond. So I think it has allowed me to create these really genuine bonds because I do care. And and that's sort of our culture. And and also, like you guys said, you know, we don't really mind a mess because generally speaking, (laughs) there's a lot of mess, right, in how we sort of grew up. 
So I think it's been an overwhelming positive thing for me. I think the bruises have come exactly what you said. Hey, can you please speak less? Like number of times. You've can been you told that? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So can you just be like a little less? And it's really interesting. When I was first told that, I was so insulted. I was just like, I can't believe, do you, do you say this to other people? Do you say this to my colleagues? Like, you know, and so it's interesting in that I was very offended, but at the same time, there was a bit of feedback that was real that could have made me more effective. So I think when you get this, when you get feedback that hurts, it's been my experience that generally speaking, you're going to have to figure out which part of the feedback you're going to really take in and would be actually beneficial. And it's actually an evolution of you as a leader without giving up your genuineness. And what part of the feedback that you're like, you know what, thanks, but I disrespect, I mean, like I disagree with you, respectfully, I disagree with you and I'm not going to change who I am at the core. And if that means I don't fit in here, then I'll just go somewhere else, like including making my own thing. But it is the one that hurt the most at that time for me there was feedback and it was around, you know, it, it was around, I think they said it the wrong way and I don't appreciate the way it was said, but I think the feedback was helpful in that I was basically not, it was like the peer thing, right? Like, let's make sure that everybody has a voice. Let's make sure you, you know, pass it around, pass the opportunity around. And I just, we just get excited. So we're like, oh, and this and that and da, da, da. And they're like, okay, too much. Be a little less. Yeah. I think they could have done it a thousand times better but there was some feedback there that was real. And it was more like share the oxygen, maybe let's just say it yes. that way. And that was a real feedback, but I just wish they would have done it in a much nicer professional way. But yeah, I mean, have I been told things that were absolutely bruising? A hundred percent. I want to talk about the industry STEM, but just to finish on identity, what are the biggest misconceptions that, or stereotypes that you find for Hispanics particularly in tech, but in corporate America in general? I mean, I would say one of them is what we've been talking about, which is that there's this feeling that they're, you know, loud and happy and like, you know, and it's just like, can we just sort of dial it down? And, and the feeling is that you can't give, that if you give this feedback, you know, you're going to, like the flower is just going to, you know, uh, die, if you will. I feel like we're really tough and we can take feedback. And we so can do I hard really, and we can do hard things. And so I feel like these are not shrinking violets. Like if you have feedback that's going to make somebody more effective, please tell them. And I think you will find that they're extremely resilient, uh, more resilient than I think we get credit for. And they want to grow and they're, you know, they want to make a career and they want to like move forward. And so they're waiting for that. Can you do it in a kinder way? Absolutely. But whatever it is, give the feedback because there's a lot more resiliency than I think people give credit for. And I think, you know, I feel like people tippy toe around a little bit too much. And it's just like, you know, I think we're so used to the Latin culture and parents are like, mijita, like, Da, 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 you know, so you're just used to that. So compliment, you, criticize, compliment, criticize, exactly. all of them one. <laughs> exactly. But I love you. Yeah. I love you. I love you. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's the, the thing would be is you could say, hey, here's some real three pieces of feedback. But I love you, you know, so and I think that would go a lot better than this tippy toying that's happening. Pieces of data. Number one, according to a book that we're quoting a lot here, uh, grit, what Latinos have is grit. Yeah. You can't. Like, you can shake the entire thing, we're going to be standing there. What we need 
is two things when you're a mentor. Number one is to know the rules of the game. Someone then turns on the light. Yeah. Number two, that they tell you, but I think that you can get there. And number two, and that's a data point that comes from Google.org many years ago, is that the barriers for Latinos to get into tech were at number one, access to education, but number two, encouragement. No one told them. No one told them, I can see you like Ana yeah. Corrales leading Google. How do we do that? You know, I this is an incredible question, and I spent a lot of time on this because I'm actually one of the executive sponsors of OLA, which is our Latinx ERG. And some of the data you shared, I see it. I see that every day. I think it's so important for us to get early access to, to education. There is like that digital divide and making sure that we're, you know, Google has a ton of programs to try to do that. And we're working on like doing startup efforts and making, you know, training accessible to everybody with our tools. And it makes a huge difference because they need to know that it exists. They need to know it's a possibility. I'll tell you one quick story. You know, I was once asked, hey, why have you done, you know, Ola at Google and Conexión at Cisco and all these ERGs for a long time? It's a lot of work. Like what fuels you to do that? And for me, it actually was a story that happened to me. I graduated grad school. I went to work at HP. I was there in my first week and my manager's like, hey, come over. You're going to this event with me. And it was an event for high school kids, Latinos, to try to get them to know like, hey, STEM is a possibility. You too are good at math and you could do that. And he's like, don't get in trouble. Don't say anything. Just stay over there, right? Because I had been there five minutes. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. And this young girl came to talk to me and she spoke Spanish, of course. So we're chatting, you know, we're chatting it up, having a great time. And so she then tells me, she's like, so my high school counselor was telling me that I should consider applying. And then she's like, well, she encouraged me to, to apply to this call called MIT. And I'm like, MIT? I've never heard of MIT. I had no idea what she was talking about. So then she's like, but my mom is thinking maybe I would be better off helping them in the car wash because that's where they worked in the car wash. So what do you think? And I just remember thinking, how's that a question? Of course you should go to college. And I felt so bad in retrospect because I had I mean, what an ignorant, like I didn't realize what she was really asking. I just had so little thought in my reply. And then later it came to me, like 20 minutes later, I went to her, I'm like, did you say MIT? She's like, MIT. I'm like, in Massachusetts. She's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's MIT. You should definitely go to MIT. And so if your counselor thinks you should go to MIT, you should definitely go to MIT. And she's like, is it a good school? I'm like, yeah, it's a really good school. You should go. And again, but I didn't have a lot of thought about what else I was breaking in her family or her mental model or her challenges. And I just felt so bad saying that. Many years later, I was actually at work and I got this letter and it was from this girl who had found me and sent me a letter and said, I just want you to know I graduated from MIT. No and I was like, you know, I thought about that moment. I'm like, I went there by chance. I had no clue what I was doing. I wasn't intentional. Like I literally stumbled across this girl and it was still a good outcome. So imagine if I put any points of intention, if I put any energy units of intention, what you could do. And I think that is the inspirational thing that you need to, like these kids need to know that it's possible. And, and so that's one of the big reasons for me. And I think that's one of the big challenges we have. I think for Latinas, the other big challenge, to be honest, is when they start getting to like, I'm getting married or I'm thinking about getting married or I'm thinking about having kids. And so I think educating on that piece also is a really important one to do. Okay, so before we wrap up, you gave us a lot of good advice. Is there anything that you didn't give us that you would like to give Anna when she was 30 years old? I think, uh, let's see, Anna of 30, let me think or about 25. that. 
30s better. Okay. I love my 30s. Uh, I would just say, you know, I had my children in my 30s, and I just feel like I was, you know, I was scared, I think, I, in that time frame for a bit. And I just sort of now being on the other side of it, I just think I wish I would have known, to your point, it's not as scary as I think it is. And I think I wish I would have had that confidence because I probably spent so many energy units that I I really didn't need to spend at all. Being scared, being worried about being scared. Should I be scared? I'm not scared, but should I be scared? You know, I mean, all these things that I just, they were useless now. Um, and I wish I would have just, you know, had more conviction at that time that dreaming big is okay. And, you know, here's the thing. Like, you dream big, you're going to get a something. Like, I've gotten opportunities where I'm like, I can't believe this opportunity is at my doorstep. And I can't do it right now. You can say no. But it's just like getting that option is so valuable and it's so fun. It's so fun. I get to do really cool stuff that I never thought I would do. And I think everybody should deserve that chance. We love having you here. And <laughs> we've you. heard so many great pieces and some similar, very similar. We're coming to a decalogue, a playbook, yeah. a real playbook of what it is. Like, how can you make it as a, a la Latina, like Latino style, and lead and succeed in your authentic self. Thank you. Yeah, we can be more grateful for today. Yeah. Yeah, oh, thank great. you. It's so fun. I really appreciate you guys having me here. And, you know, it's really a pleasure. So thank you so much. And for everybody, give it to Ana Corrales, leading and helping us to lead a la Latina. <laughs> This podcast was proudly produced by Malka Media. The struggle is real, and we know that firsthand being daughters of hardworking immigrants. That's why on La Lucha is Real podcast, hablamos un poquito de todo. Somos Angel and Edith, long-term best friends who have authentic conversations, giving us space to be vulnerable without judgment because La Lucha is real. We want all of our amigos who listen to us to feel a part of the conversation and feel empowered to become a better version of themselves. A veces bromeando y a veces llorando, pero siempre mejorando. La Lucha is Real podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and established small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts.